Hello and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Nathan Hill. I'm the uh, optimization evangelist at Next After, which basically means nothing, uh, except that I do a little bit of everything. Uh, Brady and I are talking today about some really fun stuff. Brady, how you doing? I'm doing good. I just got my green tea going. Uh, I'm ready to talk some fundraising. Cool. Well, I am too. Uh, so for you, listener, uh, Brady and I were talking a little bit early this week about what to do for our episode this week. We've got a few interviews uh, you know, teed up uh, that you're going to hear over the next few weeks, uh, but we wanted to take a look at some of the questions that we've been getting uh, really through webinars, through courses, through just people emailing us. Uh, we get tons of questions all the time just about you know, how do you actually grow fundraising. And so we wanted to sit down and answer a few of those. And so this week, as I sat down to really make an outline of you know, what are the key questions that people ask us all the time, there's one that really stands out that we get asked literally every time we have pe- people in to uh, attend a workshop or a training, or if we go speak somewhere, people always ask this question. And it's, it's very simple. It's this, where do I start? <laughs> uh, which sounds super simple, but you know, at the end of the day, like we share a lot of different learnings, a lot of different ideas of things to test, uh, things that we've been learning through experimentation and all of that. And, you know, I think people really do need to have this understanding of what's really most important. How do I figure out out of the thousand, hundred thousand things maybe that I could do today or this week or this month, what's really most important? So, Brady, I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, with you talking about this question. Uh, So I think we can kind of frame our conversation around this. If I want to grow fundraising, in particularly online fundraising, where in the world should I start? Do you have anything you want to add before we really jump into kind of a framework for how to think about that? No, I think it's great. I mean, I, I don't know if we have enough time to actually <laughs> go into such a big question like that. But it's a very, very useful question because you're right. We can dive into, you know, Google Analytics reports by channel or source or something like that. And it's easy with digital to dive in and soon, you you know, you're like – on the bottom of the ocean floor and you have no idea what's going on top of the surface. And so to actually start with this fundamental question is great. So let's, uh, let's get into it. Welcome to the freak show. Here we go. It's just another freak show. Here we go. I said, welcome to the freak show. Here we go. It's just another freak show. Here we go. Welcome to the freak show. Here we go. It's just another freak show. Here we go. Welcome to the freak show. Here we go. It's just another freak show. Here we go. Well, before we get into like a framework for how to think about this, which we do have one, so stay tuned. (laughs) Um, Teaser. (laughs) No, I thought I'd share just like a little bit about my story because it it kind of revolves around this question of not really knowing Mm. what's important (laughs) to work on first. Uh, So before coming to Next After, this will actually be uh, three years here in May. Uh, So before coming here, I worked at an organization uh, based in Chicago. It's about an eighty million, maybe hundred million dollar organization uh, per year. Humble brag. And, well, that's just to give some context <laughs> as to like you know what what kind of operation we had going on. You know, a lot of different marketing things going on, a lot of different uh, quote unquote like business units doing different things. And uh, you know, for for two years there, I ran email marketing. So every day was coding emails or writing copy or trying to figure out how in the world can we put a, a newsletter together for this month and trying to dig up content, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then the last year I was there was actually managing the, the digital marketing team. Uh, so that's not just email, but actually building ads and social media and kind of everything that goes into that. 
And when I had first started, we were this little digital marketing team for their their radio broadcast unit. And uh, a new COO came in, and he said that he wanted to shake things up a little bit. He saw that we were doing some good work and said, hey, why don't you uh, and, and this whole digital team come and serve the entire organization? Because you're doing some great stuff. Maybe you can do great stuff across the board. So we said, hmm. cool, that sounds great. And at the end of the day, we didn't really add any staff members. We just had to <laughs> do maybe five or six times more work. And, Classic. Uh, right, right, which is a very normal thing. Maybe that's surprising to some people. It was surprising to me to find out that was a normal thing. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so we had all, all these different projects going on and really no framework to figure out what's important. What do we actually work on? What do we not work on? That's probably maybe a more important question. What's, what's not important mm. uh, in all the hours you have in the day? What should you not be working on? And, uh, you know, so basically we ended up working on the stuff where people that had the most sway in the organization said, hey, I need you to work on my project. And if right. they had more political clout or, uh, yeah, not necessarily a bigger title, but just more sway in the organization, you know, that's kind of what we would work on. Yeah. And, you know, within the last maybe six months that I was there, maybe the last three or four months, we uh, had this big radio fundraiser campaign, a big call-in, call center, that kind of campaign that we were running. And uh, we had this pool of, of recurring donors that you know, we considered had already given because they already gave for that month. Their credit card was charged, but we wanted to retain them. So we had a little bit of retention marketing program going on where we would send these people a, a free resource as a thank you for your continual support. And I thought, hey, what if we actually had these people self-opt in for this resource? Like we can send them an email, they can go to a page and they can say, yes, I want to get this resource. And then on the confirmation page, we can make this instant donation ask and say, hey, thanks so much for your ongoing support. We're going to send you this thing. Would you also consider making an additional donation during this special campaign? Your support Mm -hmm. will go to serve these different needs and, and all that. And at the end of it, we actually brought in enough revenue to cover all of our costs for retention marketing for this whole campaign. Wow. Which... I thought it was great. And so I put a little presentation together after the campaign is over. I'm trying to shop it around. And what I found out was nobody cared. <laughs> People on my team didn't care. People in donor development didn't care. Huh. And I, I, I struggled for a while to figure out like why. Like, this is important. This is the equivalent of paying a few people on my team's salary for the month. This covers all the costs of this. Like, this is a, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And what I think it came down to is that people just didn't know what was important. People mm. didn't know what their actual goals were. So you could see a little bit of revenue coming in over mm. here, but what what does that actually mean? What does that actually matter if we don't actually know where we're trying to go? So that was my experience. Mm. And so I say all that to just say that like this is a super common question. Uh, so even if you feel like I'm the only one who doesn't know what's going on, uh, it's probably everyone that, that doesn't quite have, have a handle on, on where do I actually get started. Right. Do you have any similar experiences uh, that you'd want to share? Oh, like not knowing what to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much time do we have? No, I think the two that jump out, one, um, I, I tell the story a lot, but I accidentally went to grad school and then um, studied nonprofit management. My very first job, I was the first and only full-time employee. And they basically said, we can pay you for nine months, you know, like, good luck, <laughs> help us raise some money. And A, a lot of what I learned at the graduate level was completely inapplicable but then same thing. I knew that we needed revenue and that we needed donors. Um, and I understood some of the kind of fundraising-ish 
you know, metrics in the more classic moves management. It's not like you just get money without donors and you don't get donors without prospects and things like that. But as it relates to digital, which we were basically forced to do because we had no budget, I didn't really understood what moved the needle at all. Um, right. So it's like we need money. We need donors. We need to talk to people. Uh, but then how do we actually go about doing that? Uh, you know, the best I could figure out was basically let's let's get and send emails, which actually is pretty good. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't really place to start. Yeah. You know, I didn't hunch. really know exactly how valuable that is. And maybe we can we'll talk about that, I'm sure, as we get into it. But that that was one, you know, you're carving these plans and you think, yeah, you know, I have a master's degree. I should know this stuff. And uh, at some point it gets down there and you're like, I don't know, you know, it really moves the needle. And then the second one was um, I became marketing director for a larger organization, not quite $80 million, you know, like you, but uh, it was larger <laughs> than okay. my startup experience. And um, they kind of hired me to kind of lead this three-year, you know, plan where we'll go from five mil to 25 mil. And uh, we staffed up in terms of our budget and had a team of six. And then basically a month or two, it was like, just kidding, we're going bankrupt uh, and had to like let everyone go. So that was so interesting to like, how did that happen? Like, how do we make all these decisions uh, based on basically nothing? And then the rest of the year was spent just basically, you know, like a going out of business campaign. Um, and we we're just running around putting out fires and we raised a bunch of money. It was the best financial year we'd had up to that point with almost no costs, <laughs> costs because we like fired everyone and wow. couldn't spend a dime. And it was just like, you know, hustle and the we're going out of business is a great, <laughs> you know, campaign. You can't run it very often, but it, it is effective. Yeah. And we got to the end of that. I thought we had this great year. I was pitching in all over the place. And I remember sitting down and doing our performance review and I just got roasted because my job description and what I was hired to kind of do in the way of digital marketing and stuff, it all kind of tanked because we were doing events and supporting major gifts. Yeah. Um, and so not being able to to tie the link between my work and digital and the success of the organization was critical and made me look, you know, foolish. <laughs> and again, sure. it's because uh, part of it, I mean, there's a lot in there, but part of it, again, was, yeah, not being able to actually know what is it that I'm doing and controlling that is directly leading to this kind of success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still keep that performance review with me everywhere I go because it, it was so infuriating. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I never have a review like that again. <laughs> so yeah. a couple of, you know, slightly different experiences. But yeah, I think we could ask fundraiser after fundraiser marketer after marketer and they would have stories i'm sure like this of yeah, yeah. i'm trying i just i don't i don't know yeah and i know, I know tim katuriak our boss has a similar story uh he kind of tells the same story every time he's in a sales meeting and all of us can pretty much recite it at this point but i know that's part of his story of you know kind of being thrown into a digital marketing uh team that he was leading and suddenly uh there's pressure to raise a lot of money and I have to figure out how to actually make this work. So everybody has that point, I think, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. wondering, what what do I even do to get started? Yeah. Uh, even if, if you're in the middle of a, a successful program, how do you keep improving? So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, do you want to talk about this this whole idea of three key metrics? Uh, we talk about it a little bit. I don't know that we've talked about it on a podcast. Uh, but yeah. you want to give a, just kind of a high-level overview of like what are these three key metrics that we typically look at? Yeah. So um, this is actually one of the first things that I really 
came to love and appreciate about Next After before I joined the team about a year ago was digital is extremely complex and it can get extremely complex on the data side. But basically at the highest level, there's only three key factors or three variables that you can manipulate or need to manipulate in order to raise more money. It is traffic, how many people are actually visiting your website, conversion rate, what's the percentage of people that visit your website and then take an action like donate. And then when it comes to fundraising, the real crazy mind-blowing part about fundraising is average gift. It's on average how much someone gives for an online donation. And what's crazy about that is, you know, traffic conversion rate isn't that new. You can find it all over the place. But the average gift part of the equation is crazy because we really don't have a price point. It's not like it costs $9.99 or $12.99 for Netflix each month. Like it's not a set price point. Sure, we use donation anchors, but fundamentally, someone can visit your site and give $10 or $1,000, you know, depending on where they're at. And so it's this real crazy variable that's – you know, impacts. But basically, you multiply those three metrics together and it equals revenue. You get more traffic. The other two stay the same. You get more revenue. You get a better conversion rate. The other two stay the same. You get more revenue. Yeah. You get a, a higher average gift. The other two stay the same. You get more revenue. So I, I just at a really simple level, it's like, are you trying to get more traffic? Are you trying to increase your conversion rate? Or are you trying to increase your average gift? And if yeah. your strategy doesn't uh, try to and influence one of those three variables, then you're probably doing something wrong or it's, you're probably not on the right track. Yeah. It's probably at the simplest. I mean, if we're going to try to answer this question, where do I start? Basically pick one of those metrics. If it's lower than you know what you would hope it would be or lower than maybe the, the industry average in those areas, that's probably where you need to optimize first. Because if, again, if you fix one of those, you improve one of those, you're improving revenue directly. If you improve a couple of them, you're improving revenue drastically improve all three you're just yeah huge exponential growth in revenue uh it's it's actually it's harder uh it's easier said than done to (laughs) increase all three of these at an exponential rate and and keep growing Uh, but it's a it's a good framework to to think about it yeah and i think what's interesting is that the the three are kind of related right it's not like in a vacuum you can necessarily manipulate one with no impact on the other at least on on my personal experience and you know what especially yeah. smaller and medium sized organizations kind of like where of those three where do you start um what I would normally say, I'd be interested to know what you'd say, but normally I think in increasing conversion rates, one of the easier things, there's often some very simple things that we can do, eliminating distractions, you know, getting a better form, uh, reducing yeah. all the crazy stuff that you're asking for, making required, adding a little bit more about the why. Like it's, it's not easy, don't get me wrong, but there's often a lot of kind of like low hanging fruit, so to speak, around conversion yeah. rate. So that's kind of like start there. Especially because the next one, which I think is traffic, if you're throwing more traffic at a page that isn't converting very well, well, then you're kind of losing an opportunity around the traffic that you're generating. Totally. Right? So it's like conversion rate's kind of easy, low-hanging fruit. And then traffic is um, what I normally see for small and medium-sized organizations as the biggest hurdle. You know, they'll give us their three metrics, which is one of the things that we look at to kind of benchmark them and create these reports. And often their average gift, high, solid. Conversion rate, especially small organizations, normally really high, even though they've got mm-hmm. you know, a crappy donation page because the people in their sphere are so engaged. It's just low sure. traffic. Like the biggest thing they suffer from is a volume problem. Um, and so it's, it's one of the longer-term strategies that organizations often um, aren't committed to. But if yep. you see the benefit of we get more traffic – and we maintain this optimized kind of donation page, we'll get more donations. So let's get more traffic. Yeah. But traffic's also 
probably one of the most expensive things to get. I mean, there's there's some some quote unquote free. I mean, nothing nothing's ever free. Yeah, uh, there's time and, and resources. That's the rub, yeah, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the strategies that are out there for how do you actually grow traffic on a sustainable level? You got to spend some money. Uh, typically, uh, that can happen through a number of different ways. The main thing is advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even you say advertising, and people think a million different things. That can be through you know paid search advertising. So you're you're paying to show up when somebody searches for something relevant to your topic or cause. Uh, it could be spending money on Facebook to try to figure out, you know, who are the people out there that look like my typical traffic or should be my traffic or should be my donors, but just don't know about me yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's display advertising. You can just you can plaster the web with uh, little flashing images <laughs> uh, <laughs> and see how that works for you. I mean, there's a, there's a million different strategies. Um, but yeah, when, whenever we start kind of talking with an organization about how, how do you actually grow and we look at web traffic and it's really low, it's really hard to, to put some of these conversion strategies into place uh, because you don't have enough people to start with to really tell what's working and what's not. Um, and then on top of that, you could have a 100% conversion rate. Every single person coming to your site is is donating something. But I mean, if that's only 100 people, that might not be enough to keep your doors open. Yeah, uh, and I think, I think this is where we got to start talking about email, um, right? Because just getting traffic, so say you do display advertising, you get people clicking. If you're asking for a donation... The conversion rate from, oh, I saw your rotating banner on some random website to, oh, please take my money is incredibly low, right? Like they're reading an article or something, see your ad, even if they're interested and show some motivation, they still don't know about you. Like it's a pretty big jump to go from something like that to donation. Whereas we know when we do analysis of our clients and customers – Email is often the number one driver of online revenue and a high driver of traffic a lot of the times. So how can you increase traffic through like the advertising and strategies? But then if you don't capture an email, it's like a one and done visit, right? The bounce yeah. rate's probably pretty high. The one t- the new time visitor rates normally like 70, 80% for a lot of organizations, which means people right. come once and they don't come back. So unless you find a way to get repeat traffic, it's going to be you're back in the same boat the next month. You know, let's dump another bucket of money to get some traffic. So right. this is where knowing kind of the value of email as it relates to online revenue is important because it may seem counterintuitive that you're going to spend money and not ask for a donation. But the reality right. is if you don't want to be in the same position next month or next quarter, you don't own that traffic source. If it's just an yeah. ad, you got to buy it again. Whereas an email, right. once it's yours, you can email them updates. You don't have to ask every month, but you can generate your own traffic, right? It's yeah. kind of like renting versus owning a house. Uh, you know, you're just kind of renting traffic versus kind of owning traffic. And I think that's mm-hmm. really, really important for organizations. It's Again, it may be super simple to you, you know, listening or to maybe us, but the value of email is unbelievably high when it comes to online fundraising. Totally. Totally. And if you aren't trying to capture that email, I mean, you have, you're paying for all this traffic to come to your website. You're basically making the gamble that, well, you're, the, you're probably doing one of two things. You're making the gamble that, you know, A, our content is so good that it's going to stick in your mind forever. You're going to remember exactly <laughs> right. who our organization is, what we do, why it's so important, why you should donate later on, and why you should come back and visit our website tomorrow and maybe consider making a gift, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. the likelihood of that, I mean, is so low. But then B, the other option here is, well, maybe you've tracked them through Google Analytics or a Facebook pixel or whatever, and, and yeah, you're just going to remarket to them. Like, that's the only other way to get them back is to put a, another ad right in front of their face that you're paying for when if you actually have this focus on email acquisition, 
you know, you could be generating more traffic on an ongoing basis without, you know, breaking the bank. Yeah. And especially when we get into kind of something that I think we'll talk about later, but communicating the value or like, why should someone give to you? You know, in an, in an ad, even it's, it's tough. I mean, we see a lot like longer form advertisements uh, do better because you're, a, you have a better chance to communicate the why. You maybe get fewer clicks, but you get more donations. Like it's one of the most common insights that we find in all of our research is if people don't understand the why, it doesn't matter how cool your form is, you know? Right. And, <laughs> right. and I think that that goes back to the value of email again. The email kind of affords you more time to communicate your why, not just in one email, but multiple emails, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a story, here's a program report, you know, here's a word from a donor. Like you're, you're constantly communicating the impact. So then when it comes time to yeah. say, hey, this is your chance. We need your support. Here's what it'll do. Please make a gift. You know, they're already kind of bought in at some level. Uh, and again, without that email, it is kind of like a, a roll of the dice. And uh, it often comes up snake eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that's a good line. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and you all can't see the look on Brady's face when he says that, but it's very entertaining. So we'll have to share this video so you can, you can Downside see Downside of, uh, of audio only, you know? Right, yeah. right. Uh, well, before we move on to talking about conversion rates specifically, uh, let's just talk quickly about how to actually measure web traffic. So I was emailing with somebody mm. earlier this week, and they were kind of asking, well, how do you, what do you mean by web traffic? You mean, if you're also looking at how many people donate, you just mean how many people are coming into your, to your donation page, right? Mm. So I threw that to you. Is that right or is that wrong? Uh, yes and no. Um, so I think at a high level, it's just how many people visit your website, right? That's yeah. just pure traffic. Um, but I think what's challenging is not everyone is intending to donate and not everyone even visits your donation page. So you would basically have like a macro figure. And this is what a lot of industry benchmarks are, is kind of how many visits do you get in a month? How many online donations do you get in a month? You divide them. And then that's what your kind of global conversion rate is. And it's somewhat useful of like how much general traffic are you diverting? What can be often more useful is how many people specifically visit your donation page and then go on to complete a donation. When you're looking at the effectiveness of your donation page, that's a much more useful metric of website traffic and conversion rate. Absolutely. Um, And then you can start getting into like by channel and by source and by age and by device and all that other stuff. But, you know, I think it is key to understand there's like global traffic. Yes, important. But when it comes into specifics of your donation page – you know, it's better to look at how many people just actually visit the page as opposed to yeah. your whole website. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, too, that, like, you know, as we're looking at these three specific metrics to figure out where to start, like, you don't just say, oh, my web traffic's low. I better improve my, I don't know, the copy on my homepage, and then all my web traffic problems are going to be fixed. Like, this is a starting place a starting place to start to dig in deeper to figure out Okay, so if my web traffic's low, is that because people aren't searching for me? Is that because our ads aren't performing? Like, there could be a million different factors, but this is how you kind of figure out where do I really drill in? Because it's hard to just say, hey, my revenue's not where I want it to be, and then drill it like that. That doesn't really help. That's not really helpful. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that uh, I, I stole from Next After before I came here, because it's an open secret, but the aggregate engagement index I found really useful when trying to. An, assess and analyze web traffic because not all traffic is created equal, right? So we had one client, um, we saw a massive spike, like 90% growth in traffic over a three-month period. 
And we're like, wow, this is awesome. And then you dig into it and you find that like the bulk of it was coming from one pocket in India somewhere. Mm. Right? <laughs> and like nothing against getting traffic from India, but oh, sure. they probably aren't likely donors. Uh, and it could very well be some like weird click farm kind of activity, you know, because yeah. it was focused and then it went away. So if you just look at the top level traffic metrics, you can easily get, you know, fooled. That's why you need to look at quality of some level. And not all quality yeah. is a donation like that. Again, the donation is a high ask. So are they spending time on your site? Are they reading multiple pages? You know, there's flaws with all of these metrics to a degree. Totally. But, you know, I think there does need to be something around the quality of, of traffic as well. Yeah. Well, and that kind of is a good segue into talking a little bit more about conversion rate because the quality of traffic is directly going to affect uh, what the likelihood is of someone actually making a donation or taking another um you know, valuable action on your website. So maybe that maybe maybe you're measuring you know how many people are signing up to volunteer for something. Um, you know, you're not just going to get any old person clicking on a display ad to say, "Yeah, I'll volunteer at your next event." Like those are highly engaged people. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, the source of that traffic, the quality of that traffic, is super important. So Brady, tell us just uh, the 15 second uh, definition of what's conversion rate. What are we looking for? How do we measure it? Yeah, so like we said, the kind of at the macro level, it's how many donations on average do you get in a month and how many website visits do you get in a month? And you divide donations by traffic and it gives you a rate. Did I do that right? Yeah. I think so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that That's generally like the easiest thing is to kind of take a 12-month average. You could do it annually too, like in a year, how many mm-hmm. website visits. But like we said, um, that just is kind of the global view. If you really want to say, look at your donation page performance, then you would look at all of the traffic just to that donation page and yeah. then how many online donations you get. And that's a more accurate measure of your donation page performance. Yeah. But then, yeah, like you said, broadly speaking, you know, if you're just looking across your whole program, how do you grow? We're looking at total donations versus total traffic, basically. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, c- conversion rate can apply to other things besides donation, obviously, like email, yes, yes. right? That's a key metric too. If you have an email sign up page, how many people who visit that page are actually signing up for email? Right. That's something that you should be monitoring and looking at as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the conversion rate doesn't only apply to donations, obviously. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can try to improve this conversion rate. Uh, you listened a bunch earlier just of, you know, how do you really focus on a specific donation page and, you know, try to pick up some of the low hanging fruit and make sure it's you know easy for someone to actually give a gift that you're explaining why someone should give a gift. Um, but there's a million different things that actually can improve this. I think one really interesting experiment I've actually you know, been sharing the past week or so, uh, it's just kind of come up randomly. Uh, there's this experiment we ran a couple of years ago, basically just looking at the donate button in the top right corner of the navigation. And something as simple as just making that visible, making the, the path of someone coming to your homepage and figuring out how to get to the donation page, not just improved traffic to the donation page, but it's improving the overall conversion rate because you're making it, the people that are already motivated to, to come to your site and are mm. already saying, I'm interested in giving, you're just making the path super clear. Where, you know, if it's not clear, someone might spend 45 seconds on your homepage. If you're lucky, they'll spend that long trying to figure out where's the donate button. And maybe by the time they do find it, if they do find it, they've already been jaded a little bit because, you know, it's super frustrating to, to give to you. Yeah. So there's a lot of little factors that, that go into trying to improve this. Is there anything else that comes comes to mind uh, that you can think of just like something that's kind of surprising that might uh, improve conversion rate? Yeah, I, I think the 
I kind of alluded to it, and um, we're kind of circling the the big like aha here. But um, <laughs> the lack of copier text on a donation page often kind of craters conversion rate. And so when we do our research studies, that's one of the things we always look at is what's being communicated and kind of how much copy or text are they using. Yeah. And I know in the, the Canadian study where we looked at, did they use more than a sentence? About 60% of organizations used a sentence or more. But I wish we would have, and we will in this next study look at, did they use like say three sentences or more or four sentences or more, mm. like a little bit more than you know, thank you for your donation today. Like technically that's a <laughs> sentence, you know. So yeah. it's surprising that like 40% had nothing, like zero. <laughs> uh, but if, if there was more like three sentences, that number would go down to like 20, 30%. Yeah. And so basically, unless you've really made up your mind that you want to give to this organization and know why, um, there's nothing there for you to reconfirm why or to kind of further persuade <laughs> you. And that's yeah. normally like a biggest point of contention, you know, when we do our workshops and studies, people are like, wait, wait, wait. But like, but I don't like to read. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> nobody t- reads online. Brady. Nobody reads online. And I don't like to read. And I just want to make my donation. And the key variable in there is I like, don't give a crap about what you think. Honestly, it's about yeah. like what your donors need to hear. And they'll tell you, I don't want to read. And then we'll run the test. And if you don't have copy, you get fewer donations. This is why yeah. testing is so important. But that, that's probably the most important and also surprising thing for a lot of people is uh, the need for copy or text to share why their donation is needed. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, I don't want to belabor the point here, but I just thought of this kind of this story. We put this quiz together uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so that was five or six experiments uh, that we thought were super interesting uh, because they kind of flip some of the best practices on their heads. And so we put this quiz together to basically see, like, hey, is your intuition actually lining up with what's actually working? And so six questions you go through, you select, you know, did video win or no video? Did long copy or short copy, uh, et cetera? And I sent this quiz out to, you know, some of my friends uh, that work in the fundraising space. And but this was before we actually, like, launched it through ads and everything. I just wanted to get some feedback. And a number of people took it and one of the responses I got, and this is actually kind of a common response, it was just articulated this way, uh, and it kind of stuck in my mind, but this person said, well, I got, you know, five of the six correct, but my preference would be the opposite on all of them, yeah. and so that's what we're going to do. Well, is this, about, is this about what you prefer? Is this about what, what works? Well, so it's just kind of interesting how much... Uh, hostility there can be to, to kind of changing some of these practices. Yeah. And there's that sentiment, um, you know, permeates all digital for the most part is, yeah. I can't tell you the number of times you sit in a boardroom and just talk about what you like or, or what your spouse or partner likes, you know, maybe <laughs> like it, it's a lot of what I like, what I like language. And that's maybe the second most damaging thing in all of fundraising absent this, uh, you know, overhead myth <laughs> i'd say it's maybe yeah. number one because what it does and the number two is how much we just focus on our own preferences or what we like without even knowing it sometimes totally and often it's the total opposite that that actually works and yeah i yeah. think i think what converts is a great example of that yeah and i don't want to for us to come across as sitting here being like we've got it figured out because we really don't uh we're, we're testing and learning all the time and i i put a page together a couple weeks ago and i sent it to tim he's like none of this talks about <laughs> the value of what someone would actually get. It just talks about what they're going to have to give you in order to get the thing that you haven't told them why they should get. 
that's super vague. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but no, that, all that to say, like, you know, we're running a test to see you know, what is actually going to work here. So we don't know. We're, we're going to the science, I think, as you say, and John says <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other, the other neat thing about that, though, is, you know, we talk a lot um, or we need to talk more, actually, about like what a culture impacts hmm. kind of innovation in this. And if you don't all have the same kind of framework, then feedback can be really tough. So like what's kind of neat when we send stuff around our offices, we all kind of have a similar framework or methodology. And so, you know, when Tim looks at that copy that you wrote and I, I think he said it by me and I kind of was like, yeah, fine. I missed it too. Right. But like <laughs> we all share a similar methodology. So when he says, hey, what's the value that's being communicated to me as an outsider? We instantly get it. Whereas like if that's totally foreign language, so Tim believes that and knows that, but you don't or vice versa, then you're not yeah. speaking the same language. And so I do think there's something important. And this is why we're focusing on training of hopefully teams, not just person or people is like there is a methodology. You know, if it's these three metrics or, you know, it's how you talk and communicate is really, really important so that everyone's yeah. on the same page. So feedback is even more useful as opposed to just, again, someone's opinion who's using slightly different language. Hey, it's Nathan. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Uh, I wanted to take just a second to tell you about something really cool that we're putting together. It's a brand new online fundraising benchmark study uh, that's covering these three metrics that we're talking about. The only way to really know where to start improving your fundraising is to see how you measure up to other organizations. So this new study, this new report, will let you see exactly how your three key metrics, web traffic, conversion rate, and average gift, measure up to other organizations just like your own. I want you to have a free copy of this report and to access the instant benchmark tool that will let you connect your Google Analytics account and instantly start benchmarking your metrics as all the data for the report comes in. You can get all of this and start learning where to optimize by simply sharing your three key metrics with us at nextafter.com slash benchmark. So head on over there and your three key metrics and we'll start getting your benchmark report put together. Again, that's nextafter.com slash benchmark. Let's uh let's fast forward here a little bit to to this this third metric. Uh, and then we'll kind of close things out with talking about the one thing that you can do today, this week, this year that's really going to make the most impact. But let's talk about average gift before we get there. Uh, what is it? How do you calculate it? Why does it matter? Okay, so uh, this is this is my least favorite of the three. Uh, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Um, so. Average gift, like we said, it's um, what, how much – you could just say how much money do you raise online in a month divided by how many donations do you get? Yeah. And that is the loose equation for average gift. You could use it over a year or not. But basically on average, what does someone give to you online? Now, what's interesting is um, like all fundraising analysis, large donors will heavily skew averages. So either A, you can look at something like median or what we do is we just remove large donations. 5000 and above, we kind of strip them from a lot of our analysis, sometimes even $1,000 and above, because it'll pull up your average gift, right? You'll often get 10 or 20% of donors who give 80 or 90% of all revenue, and even lower down the quote-unquote pyramid, uh, we still see something like that. So mm-hmm. if you have them in there, you'll be like, oh, we have a really high average gift. And it's like, no, you had someone give you $10,000 online, <laughs> right. which, which heavily skews what you do. So – you know, again, that's the high level metric, but really once you dig into it a little bit, you should be removing these kind of larger online gifts because it skews what a real online average gift is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's what it is. And why it's important obviously is that's, that's money, that's revenue, that's cash. Uh, you know, the higher average gift equals money. So it's, it's really, um, 
you know, it is important. And I, I think it's it's a, one of the harder ones to to know how you're manipulating it. You know, like mm-hmm. you can run a campaign to get traffic. You can do these optimizations to your donation page and see the difference in conversion rate. An average gift, you can even do some of these things that we'll talk about. But honestly, like maybe the donor's having a rough day, you know, and <laughs> they're not they're not feeling it. Yeah. Or um, they that read their email after a payday or after good news. Like there's these variables that you can't really control, and the desire to give is so intrinsic. Yeah. It's it's hard to to consistently be able to have this direct causation on average gift, but there is something you can do. That we'll talk more about. Yeah, and we'll, let's talk about you know what some of those other factors are that kind of influence this. Uh, I think this is an area where I would say you know we don't have a ton of research on, uh, mm-hmm. namely because it's hard to do. It's hard to kind of put a pin on on what's moving the needle on average gift. Um, there's some things that we've started to kind of figure out. And, and John Powell, who, who directs a lot of our, our research and education stuff, he's got some really interesting ideas, uh, even just about things like things as simple as a gift array or like the default mm-hmm. gift values or suggested gift values on a donation page. So when you think about average gift size, you, you might think about like, well, how much does this person actually want to support an organization? How invested are they? How much do they believe in the cause? And that's going to determine how much they give, nothing else. But even the way that you you order the suggested gift amounts on your page could actually have a significant impact on how much somebody gives. You know, if he has this this sort of theory, and forgive me, John, if I get this wrong, but uh, this theory that, you know, if you put all of the high gift amounts on the left side, because people generally are going to le- read left to right, you put the high amounts on the on the left side and then go from high to low, you know, people are going to see the high amounts first, and people who can't give at that level are going to immediately disqualify themselves. So you're going to see a dip in conversion rate because you're telling someone, well, the gift you were thinking about giving, that, that $20 gift or that $50 gift, doesn't quite meet what we would consider to be like the buy-in level. We want at least 100 bucks. We want at least 500 bucks. And so people are self-disqualifying as a result of that. Um, mm-hmm. But then the the same kind of thing happens uh, affecting average gift size. You have lower people giving. You have people that are are already kind of confused about how much they should give now, and it could potentially affect the size of their gift too. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting how even just some of those little design tweaks and changes that you might just make on a whim could actually have a really big impact. Yeah, I think that's one of the more interesting kind of studies that or research things that John has done is looking at like reverse gift arrays or the influence of gift array. And it's that idea of kind of being manipulated too, um, that, that people maybe subconsciously can kind of see. Um, so maybe just a couple other quick things on, on gift arrays, but one, there is normally a trade off of if you're trying to grow average gift through these kind of suggested donations, um, you'll often see a decrease in conversion rate or you get fewer donations, right? If if normally you suggest 100 and now you're suggesting 250, you may get more 250s, but yeah, you'll probably disqualify some people. And as a fundamental principle, uh, I would choose people over money every day of the week. Um, if you consistently grow donors or actually more specifically, if you grow transactions, the number of gifts, um, to me, it's like a cascading metric. So look, if I'm a marketing director and I get – 
two metrics to track. One of them is lifetime value, and the number uh, the other one is how many transactions. Mm-hmm. If you get more transactions, you should get more donors. You should get more gifts. You should get more revenue. So if I have to trade those off, I'm taking the donor every single time yeah. because now I can communicate. I can try to get a second gift. I can build, you know. So that's one thing on your average gift arrays. Another interesting thing is having an open field or like no gift array. We've seen with repeat donors or higher average gift donors, sometimes it's better to just let them choose their own amount. Yeah. Because even if you're trying to anchor them high, 250, maybe they would have given 1,000, but you kind of nudge them down to 250. So if you have a really high average gift or a lot of loyal repeat recurring type donors, not like recurring monthly, but like they repeat. Sure. Having no fields can be interesting. Or this is where knowing what your average gift is is useful. Yeah. If you know that your average gift is $74, then do you really want to be suggesting someone give you 20 You know, because the average person is going to give 75 already. So we often say if you're going to nudge towards something, make sure it's higher than what the average is. And that's why it's important to know your non-major online average gift so that you can even know how to influence uh, something in the gift array. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this one last idea here because I like to throw in the, the argument about should we be targeting millennials or not? A lot of people like to debate that or say the millennials are the future. So that's, that's all of our marketing, all of our fundraising should be focused on, on developing those donors. Um, but that could actually have a big impact on average gift. At least I would, I would assume. I guess we may not have any specific uh, experiments that show that, but there's a lot of evidence to show that the people that are actually giving um, are not millennials. They're, they're the, the boomer generation. And because uh, that's where the where the money is. So if your your focus is really on these younger donors that don't actually have the capacity to give like a, a boomer, uh, obviously your average gift is going to be lower because the the money isn't there. So it's kind of a, a another angle at looking at that that argument, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting too looking at um, when we do analysis again, we'll often look at. Uh, traffic sources by demographic and then we'll do conversion rate and average gift by demographic and they kind of switch oftentimes they'll switch but you get a lot of traffic from younger folks because they're online more that's where they go to seek information and then once you start looking at the conversion rate and average gift and revenue it starts shifting Mm -hmm. to the boomers and older because yeah those are people who are looking to give online who are more likely to give online and you see the same thing with mobile and desktop you'll often get a high percentage of traffic on devices, mobiles and tablets, and then conversion rate on desktops like three times higher. Yep. And uh, I don't know for sure the average gift difference on mobile. I believe it's still higher on desktop. But it's a similar thing. And there's some age basis in there as well. But again, it's just it sucks still to kind of <laughs> make a donation on your mobile phone no matter how old you are. Right. Like it's not super handy, right? Or whether or not you have um, Apple Pay on or off. It's still super hard. <laughs> yeah, it's still not it's still not great. I think it'll get better. I was just having a call with someone who's in the mobile giving space today and I think it's something that like there's gradual increases. Yeah. And then I think at some point it will kind of tip and I think we'll see a big spike yeah. in become the, the adoption of it. You know, Apple Pay and these other things will will make it easier and we'll see a spike. But for right now it's still lag significantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get around to this this one last point here, because uh, I, I like asking this question. Like we've, we've talked about these three metrics, you know, how you can start to analyze where you should start, where the holes are, where the opportunity is. But if you can only do one thing, um, even one thing this year, not just like today or tomorrow or this week or next week, but even just like this year, what's the most important thing that you should focus on? 
Um, you should come to Neo, the nonprofit <laughs> innovation. I'm just, just kidding. It's <laughs> one <Shameless>. giant ad. <laughs> this is a huge ad. Just kidding. Uh, it is a cool event. That's not it. No, what's in, we said earlier that these three metrics are all kind of related, and um, the the kind of unifying factor is what we call the value proposition or communicating the why. And the, the question that we ask in our research studies and we use as a framework to kind of evaluate the value proposition is why should I give to you? rather than another organization or not at all? That's the question that you need to answer in the eye or the mind of the donor when you're making the ask, whether it's an email or a donation page, so that they understand the value in their own terms. Um, and I think that's just, again, it's it's simple, but I, I think it's so useful um, because it makes you try to put yourself in the donor's shoes, which is imperative, Yeah. but then understand, like, you're not the only game in town, you know, these your donors support other organizations. Yep. You know, shocker. <laughs> and they don't have to give to you. And this is the thing that I think is um, the biggest threat and kind of the biggest challenge facing charitable giving is why should I give when I can go buy a pair of shoes and feel good about sure. it? You know, why can I buy a TV through Amazon Smile or something like that? Yeah. You know, there there are other options for people to use their money and increasingly still feel good about what they're doing with their money. Right. And so it just reinforces the need for nonprofits and organizations to make sure they have a good answer to that question. Yeah. And there's a lot of components that go into it, but I do think that exclusivity piece we talk about a lot uh, is so important and so overlooked uh, in many cases. Uh, you see a lot of people, even if you just like go browse like four or five different organizations and read what's on their donation page, if they have any copy on it at all, it probably it, it might say something like, you know, give now to, to bring hope. Give now to bring joy. <laughs> Donate now yeah. to stand with us or to make a difference. And and all of those things are, are are direct calls to action that I've seen on different pages and emails. But listening to those four different things, you have no idea what you're giving to. But if that's all the information you're communicating on your on your page or in your email or even in a conversation uh, with a mm-hmm. donor, like what hope is there that they're actually going to give and you're actually going to make an impact? Um, so you have to have that exclusivity factor that's, that's, you know, you're not just giving hope, but this is why we are specifically addressing this need in a unique way, and it's different than how this other organization is doing it. Um, it yeah, and there's a font. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you first. <laughs> why, thank you, Brady. <laughs> Uh, I, I was just going to say that, I mean, that's that's a, a factor in for-profit marketing, too, that easily carries over. I mean, you, if you're selling a product, you have to clearly differentiate, you know, why it's better than something else that's out there. Other, otherwise, you know, I heard Tim and Tim talking last week about, you know, things get commoditized. And when, when everyone's selling the same thing, uh, you're just trying to find cheap ways to get ahead. But if you have a unique product, right. you have to explain that it's unique. Yeah. And I was going to say there's a fine line there between exclusivity and clarity. Right, because I I think I think clarity is the thing that organizations mm. can do e- much easier. Just be very cl- like, even if you're not the only one, there's tons of organizations, you know, helping kids in Zambia. Yeah, that's fine, but be clear with what you do. We help kids in Zambia. <laughs> like, you don't even say that. Yeah. So at least say that, and then maybe you can start getting into exclusivity of you know what else you're offering or maybe how you go about it. Um, but. So whether it's like exclusivity or clarity, there's elements of each, but um, you're absolutely right. You know, that would actually be a fun game. I've seen this done in workshops where they go like mission statement matching. 
where they actually pull up like <laughs> mission statements of organizations in the room and then try to have you guess like your own mission oh, statement. Oh my goodness. And they're so similar and donation pages would probably be worse than mission statements yeah. in terms of how generic they are, yeah. you know? And uh, again, that's one of the cool things about the research is we literally get to see that a hundred times over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a huge piece of that value proposition is do they understand it? Mm-hmm. And then what makes you unique? Well, uh, along those lines, I want to share a couple examples I, I was I was pulling out uh, from one of our research studies, actually. So a while back, we actually went through and we donated to, I think it's 127 organizations to evaluate what does the actual value proposition look like for these organizations. And so we uh, donated on the donation page. We sent them an email to ask, hey, why should I give to you? Uh, we messaged them on social media, Facebook, I believe, through Facebook Messenger and said, hey, well, I'm thinking about giving a donation. Why should I give to you rather than someone else uh, or not at all? And we, we called people, we called organizations on the phone too and asked the same question. So I won't share all these, but a, a few that are just interesting to me and kind of illustrate the point. Uh, this is a real donation page that says, meeting the most pressing needs, the children, the families, and the communities that you help with a donation to our organization have varying needs and concerns. Help us to meet those <laughs> needs as they develop and change. Which kind of says, <laughs> donate to us and we'll take care of everything for everyone forever as they have needs and as they don't have needs. Which is, it, means, <laughs> it means nothing, but this was the core of how they were asking for a donation. And, and uh, uh, it's easy to laugh at that because like, clearly that doesn't make any sense, but it's on so many pages. Uh, mm. Let's look at like maybe one more. Uh, let's see. Here's one from a phone call. Uh, so this is actually a, a real conversation uh, that we had with a real person over the phone. And uh, again, we asked that question, why should I give to you? The answer, okay, well, we're working for a great cause. For example, this is a disease that really doesn't have a cure, and a lot of people are calling us for help. We get a lot of calls all the time, and it's just heartbreaking to hear sometimes what people have to go through. When you're able to fund something that people want to see curable one day, I think that just makes it better. So, you know, there's some, some level of appeal there, like you're trying to help cure a disease that people struggle with for sure. But just in that, like, that's the whole response. There's, there's no additional mm. context to be had there. That's the whole response. I did a quick little Google search, uh, looked on GuideStar, and found that there are 18,667 other disease and disease research organizations that could literally all say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these causes are important. So why should you give to this one as opposed to the other 18,500? So... Uh, those are just a couple of examples. They're, they're kind of funny, um, but they're, they're more the norm than they are the exception. So um, I'd encourage you who's listening you know, to go out and, and look at your donation page. Maybe email your customer support or your donor support. Uh, send a message to yourself on social media and see who responds and what they say. Uh, give a call, into a call if you have a call center or somebody answering phones. Ask that question and see what they say. I think you'll be uh, shocked with uh, what the answer might be. Yeah, and you know what? Another thing, we say this a lot with emails, but uh, I think it would apply to donation pages. Like at, at a staff meeting, just like read what your donation page says out loud to a group. And uh, like half the time, once you just read it out loud, you're like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, like once you take it out of the context of just, oh, this is our donation page that you read all the time or whatever it is. Yeah. And with a group, it's just it's so it's not it's black and white. Like it's night and day. You realize, oh, we're saying nothing here, yeah. you know. Like that's just a really good, you know, principle. And I know um, in one of our recent client meetings, which are always great because that's where like they're doing amazing work and we get to like hone in on all the cool stuff they're doing. But they're just on the example about using Usability Hub hmm. to 
kind of pre-test a value proposition statement before the organization even has a lot of kind of traffic, right? So it's, yeah, it's not leading to donations, but you get real-time feedback from potential donors that aren't your staff, which is also a key thing. Right. You know, asking staff is one thing, but they suffer from the same curse of knowledge that you do and right. try to get that, you know, third party. And it's like a buck or two per, you know, usability hub person. And like there's, yeah, there's these cheap. tools at our disposal. And I think the biggest thing is we just don't think it's a big deal or we don't think it's important. Yeah. So then we don't take the time to read it out loud. We don't spend the money to get 100 people to give us feedback on a page. Right. It's, it's the only thing that can <laughs> drive – success in at least two of those metrics and also kind of traffic when it comes to, yeah. you know, click through. And so again, like reverse gift array and nudging towards every, like, that's cool. That's kind of like a minor optimization. If your value proposition sucks, it doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. If people don't know why you can do the coolest dynamic reverse gift array in the world and it won't matter until you figure out your value proposition. The rest is, is important, but it's, it's not nearly as important. Yeah. That's well said. Um, let's end on a positive note here. Uh, <laughs> we can get really down in the dumps sometimes about, uh, <laughs> oh, these are terrible value propositions. This is awful and uh, all this stuff. Right, but, right. Um, let's look at a couple things that, that people can actually do to, to find a way forward, uh, with improving value propositions specifically. Um, so kind of what, what we do as a standard practice whenever we're working with an organization and we're just starting out, uh, we do a few things to try to understand from the people that are, are doing the work every single day, you know, what what is the actual value that can be shared? Uh, so one thing I'd encourage you, who's listening, to do you know go out and interview four or five employees at your organization. Just sit down, uh, maybe with people across the board, from executive level down to people that are you know answering phones or something like that, and ask them why do you actually come to work every day? Like what's what's so important about this cause that you actually wake up in the morning and spend eight or nine hours or maybe twelve hours or however long you do. Uh, putting in the work to make sure that this you know, cause is impacted every single day. So what actually drives you? I think that that's where you're going to get a lot of those really cool answers uh, of what's so important. And at the end of the day, your donors will, will more than likely want to donate to that. That's normally, well, if, if it's moving the heart, uh, the money will, will often follow. Anything else you'd add yeah. there? I think another one that I, that I, I like is, if you ever get a chance to meet with a donor or maybe if you're kind of in an email conversation, just ask them kind of like, how would you describe us? Um, or, or how would you say that, that it is – what would you say that it is that we do mm. even? Um, and even trying to get other people to, to tell you what it is that you do. It could be staff. But again, like your donors or external people is useful because they'll, they'll often have a much better answer. Or if they don't have an answer, that's an answer of itself. Yeah. But it's jargon-free. Yes. Right. So sometimes we'll workshop these answers and, you know, I can't tell you the number of times we had to remove things like, um, you know, vulnerable child or we had to be, you know, on a good level trying to protect the integrity of, you know, the populations we're serving. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up being this mush statement that means nothing like so we're, we're helping who. Right. So that's we, we do that all the time with good intentions or acronyms or whatever it is. We can jargonize it. Yeah. And so just saying, like, how would you talk about us? And hearing what people say, often you'll be like, oh, wow, that's that's way better than what we have. <laughs> um, so, again, that's uh, that's another way to maybe get some insights about what, what the great work you're already doing yeah. just in the words of someone else. That's a great point. This isn't like you're trying to create something out of nothing. This is just trying to communicate clearly what you're, what you're doing, what impact you're making. 
uh, and assuming you are making great impact, and we're making that assumption that, that you are, you're just trying to pull out, you know, what are those things that are going to communicate clearly to a donor what you're doing and why it's important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, cool. I hope wow. I hope for uh, you listeners uh, out there that this was actually helpful. Um, please let us know. Uh, Brady, what's the email uh, for people to, to reach out to us and let us know what they thought? Podcast at nextafter.com. Yeah, feel free to send us an email. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you strongly disagree with us and everything that we've said, <laughs> let us know. If you think it's great, let us know. We'd love uh, any and all feedback. Uh, we'll probably be doing some more of these episodes as we get you know, more common questions uh, to answer. So thanks for hanging with us. I know we kind of got in the weeds a little bit sometimes, but overall I hope you uh, can walk away with a few specific things that you can do uh, tomorrow or maybe today. Maybe you're listening as you're driving into work. Uh, things that you can actually do right now to make, make a few small improvements and, and keep working to grow generosity. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It- Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>